Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. Uh, later on in the show, we'll be joined by Sporting Kansas City central midfielder Uri Rosell to help us preview the forthcoming opponent for Minnesota United, which of course is Sporting Kansas City on Saturday evening. First, OK, let's rewind things a bit, shall we? Um, some good performances from Minnesota United over the course of the last couple of weeks. They've been desperately unfortunate in certain circumstances where they've not really gotten what they deserve in, in certain areas of the field. Um, let, let's go back to the Portland Timbers game, shall we, which uh, was only, what, a couple of days ago, even though it already seems like an eternity ago. Um, a good performance, uh, a changing of formation um, for the first time ever, Minnesota United going with a, an actual two up front and, and two actual centre forwards. That caused Portland Timbers plenty of problems. Um, talk me through the, the positives of that game. You know, honestly, I think that the, the most important thing for Minnesota United to come out of that game is they bounced back from a very difficult game at home against Dallas. And I know that even seems like farther ago than that. But um, a game in which they had five minutes of craziness and otherwise probably deserved more from that game at home as well and lost three nils. Then you go on the road to a Portland Timbers side that, you know, is going to be ready for the task at hand also in and around the playoff line, trying to continuously climb, um, wants a home field advantage as well. They'd love to be able to say they're in that top four and Portland Timbers, just a very difficult place to play. So for Minnesota United to go on the road, it truly did feel disappointing that they end up losing the game 1-0. And it, it's tough because, you know, we talked about it after the match and we talked about it with Adrian Heath post game. It's not like there are moral victories in this league and, and in this profession in particular. But at the same time, when you put a performance out like they did, you, you go with the formation that they did, a 3-5-2, a 5-3-2, whatever we want to call it with the wing backs. And you have, a, a, you have a, a spot where you trained in that all week long. Everybody understood and knew what their role was. And you had a two-front system, a two-forward system, where they were legitimately playing as two forwards together. And I thought that the opportunities and the chances that they could in the first half, Minnesota deserved and earned something more from this game than what they got. If anything, a draw on the road. But it to me, in my mind, it should have been three points in their favor. And I think, um, you know, Adrian, he told us and Giovanni Savarese said as much after the game, you couldn't believe not only did, did they come away with a point, but that they came away with three based on the performance and how Minnesota United executed that tactical plan. My thought was, Kay, obviously there was no Emmanuel Reynoso on that particular day because of a slight ankle issue. The Portland Timbers would have prepared for a 4-2-3-1. They would have prepared for Emmanuel Reynoso. That formation absolutely caught them off guard. Yeah, I think it caught them off guard because we, we all know what a game changer Emmanuel Reynoso is. And most teams, their eyes probably light up when they see that Emmanuel Reynoso isn't in the starting 11 and that he's not even on the bench. That he's not even an option to come on the pitch and change the game. But I think that there was so much confidence in this group in Minnesota United and the way they trained during the week to make their best 11 available and in the positions that could be most effective 
that there was no hesitation by this group that they were going to be able to get, get something from the game. And I do think it caught Portland Timbers off guard. But if anything, they may have exhaled a little bit. They may have exhaled in the fact that Reynoso wasn't on the field and available rather than, um, and I think it looked as much. The first 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of that game, it felt like they were on their heels, Portland Timbers. They couldn't connect a pass. They couldn't build. They couldn't go in transition. Blanco wasn't touching the ball. I mean, their main guys, Jimmy Chara, Diego Chara, they weren't really getting on the ball. Eric Williamson looked not great in the game with some of the turnovers that he had. So everything that Adrian Heath had planned and this team, the way they had prepared, did exactly what it needed to do aside from score goals on the chances that were created. Well, the Portland Timbers just needed one chance, really, and they took it through Dairon Espria. Um, that's now 18 goals in Major League Soccer since the start of 2021. Prior to that, and he's had a good five years in Major League Soccer, he's only scored seven. So whatever he's eating for, for breakfast, he should clearly carry on doing it. Um, talk to me about the goal then, Kay. Where does the blame lie there? You know, I've rewatched that a few times, and you know I'm not a fan of zonal marking to begin with in tight spaces and, and especially on set pieces and corner kicks. So I think that sometimes the passing off of players or the areas um, get a little cluttered and confused, and there's some grayness to it. I thought that Michael Boxel could have been just a tiny bit tighter. I mean, if you watch the replay, he jumps with him. The only thing he doesn't do is actually put a physical body on him enough to disrupt him from the back to not make the header that he made. He jumps exactly with him. He rises high. He's right on his back. But for me, then that means someone on the front end has to be it's, it's got to be like you're you're in back and you're in front. Of that player, a player like Dyron Espria, Luisa Maria, I think was on the edge of the six there and kind of that near post player defending. Then as that ball is coming in and you have a player like a Dyron Espria, because Luisa Maria wasn't on the near post. He wasn't guarding the near post where you don't leave the near post until your goalkeeper tells you to go. He was more just in that space trying to prevent maybe a flick on or something um, from the near post as we've seen Minnesota United do from an attacking perspective. So the only thing for me is, does Luis Amaria need to back up and you need to double team? You have one on the front and one in the back of a player like Dyron Espria, enough so that he cannot get a clean header on it. And if anything, Luis Amaria flicks it over or just takes Dyron Espria out of his game enough, out of his positioning enough, that that header isn't as clean as it was. Because the only other thing Michael Boxo could have done is put, a, you know, just been a little bit tighter and put a little bit more of a, a physical body on him. But at the end of the day, it's hard for me to truly fault Michael Boxel as we've seen him time and time again come up in big-time situations on set pieces inside the box defensively. So, uh, you know, I, that's that's the only thing for me that I could say. It was a nice ball in. It was a great header. Um, but you've got to be you've got to be tighter. You've got to be closer on set pieces inside the box, especially a player like Dairon Espria. Yeah, great header, really well taken. And um, for me, honestly, I think the blame lies solely on on Amaria. Uh, I think he steps too early and I think it creates a, an element of space that that wasn't there before um you're right in the sense of he's up at the front post um my assumption is and, and I don't know this but my assumption is is that he's been told to to be there for if a corner comes in short so he can go then or if it's a poor delivery he's the first man to clear away uh I think he steps a little too early um and what that does is it creates a bit of space for Aspria and Michael Boxall when he's left scrambling and um 
it, it's uh, it, it's a disappointing moment. But um, ultimately, this happens at times. Defensive set pieces um, are not always going to be perfect. But as you said as well, it fell to somebody who is in riveting form as well. And sometimes you, you just can't do much about that situation when it falls to that type of player. And it was a, a brilliantly taken header as well. And it goes it goes back to the point, Cal, that if you don't take your chances, absolutely one moment like that can come back to haunt you. And 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 I know the defense has not been perfect this season. They'll be the first ones to raise their hand and tell you that. But at the same time, when you continually get these opportunities and you don't put them away from an attacking perspective, that's all it takes in this game is one moment of switching off, of a missed mark, of a guy slipping and falling, anything that can and, and the other team capitalizes and they and they come away with a one nil victory and that's that is why soccer that's why this game is the way it is and you have to find a way to finish your chances because that completely changes the dynamic the pressure um all of those things uh on your team on your defense on everybody and i you know i talked to brent coleman today and i know i'm jumping past the lafc game but i asked him about his goal and he said Look, at the end of the day, the most important thing is, yes, it contributed to getting a point at home, but maybe the most important thing is it snapped their non-scoring streak. Not even just their, you know, their losing streak. It snapped the streak of miss that they had not gotten a goal, and hopefully that can get them going a little bit, even though it's a defender scoring on a set piece and not an attacking player putting one away. Yeah, this is where I was going to go next, really, the, the angle um, in terms of, chances in front of goal because again there was a slew of them in Portland which weren't taken um by the way before we move on Mender Garcia how, how was he for you in Portland I thought he was great I mean I thought that you know uh, again maybe and you and I have broken this down a little bit separately and even just talked about it at training and things about where he made his runs could he made them at different angles is he too vertical at times you know where he's he's stopping at the line because he's trying to stay onside. And if he comes in from a little bit more of an angle, does he have more pace when he gets on the end of the ball to take advantage, especially in Portland of the three backs, the three center back system that they had. But for the most part, I think, um, I think that he's doing what they're asking him to do everything, but score the goals. He's stretching the lines. He's adding a different dynamic. He's the more, you know, pacey player and the more him and Luis, if they continue to play together at the same time, whether it's as a two front or a three front, like we saw against, LAFC and more of a 4-3-3 that he'll continue to just feel more comfortable and be more confident but for for that game in Portland I thought him and Luis um, did a fantastic job and sometimes his runs take him a little bit too far away from goal for me his, the way he makes the runs where his run finishes when he gets the ball but I, I think that um, so far so good from under Garcia he's only played in a couple games. Yeah, and he started the game against LAFC, as you mentioned, in a, in a wider position as well. I think I think it's obvious, isn't it? Given preference, he's a centre-forward. Um, no doubt he can do a job and play in those wider areas. Um, we, we saw it, if you go back and look at the tape, when he's playing at Once Caldas, he, he can do it in the wide areas for sure. But I think the preference is, is he's, he's actually a proper centre-forward. So the game against LAFC then, the positives from that game are, as you mentioned, the skid stopped. The current issue in front of goal stopped. Minnesota United, in, in my opinion, Kay, really should have taken all three points in this one. And it, it came down to uh, a moment of, of ill-discipline in the centre of midfield, but also a sensational moment of quality from Carlos Vela to get LAFC the point that they were looking for. Um, what were your overall thoughts of the game? I mean, honestly, it's, it's pretty much the same as yours. I think in that moment, it stopped the the streak of how many minutes they had not scored 
But at the same time, I don't know that that's where you want to find your first goal to stop that skid. You're hoping that something comes in addition to, and that's not taking anything away from Brent Coleman on a set piece and, and a nice flick on in the header and, and making sure that he's capitalizing on his moment. But for the amount of chances that were created, and they weren't as good, the chances were not as good as the Portland Timbers game. But for the amount of chances that they created, the amount of attacking players that you had on the field, the amount of firepower that you have within that, you'd like to get something more from it. You stop the losing streak, but you end up with a point um, at home to LAFC. And if you were to ask this team, you know, six games ago, will you take a point against LAFC at, at home and hold them to one goal? I think you would have taken it. But at this moment in time, considering LAFC's form, considering the fact that you're at home and considering that, you know, you have Reynoso back in the lineup, this to me should have been three points for the team. And there's no one on this roster. I don't think and in this staff that would tell you any different. Um, and now you've got to find a win from one of your three remaining games. I mean, it's that, that is just the way it looks right now to be where you want to be come the postseason. I remember Adrian, when there were six games left, he said to us two wins will do. That was just sort of his thinking. And now here we are and there's three games left and you've not won a game. And I think that they know that, you know, they're not going to overwhelm them with pressure, but they're all, they're all professionals. They understand what's at stake. They understand that the job that they need to get done. Now they have two games on the road and one at home on decision day, but ultimately at LAFC or excuse me, against LAFC, you know, Carlos Vela, that's, that's the type of player he is. You cannot give him that moment. And it was far too much time for him to take one touch and set himself up but even he didn't even have to really do anything spectacular by Carlos Vela's standards that he just you know opened his hips a little bit took a nice clean first touch it set up perfectly on his left and he curls it into the top corner just too much time and space there was a few turnovers late in the game as Minnesota's pressing on um in those transition moments I mean what do we have five midfielders on at the end of the game but still most most were pushing on to try to get something from the game and one little turnover one little careless pass one little you know, I, I don't even know if I'd call it a mistake per se, because you still had time to defend it. Um, but, you know, in even just before that, when they took Abu Dunladi off after he had come on as a sub and they put Yosef Rosales in, I said to you, you know, yeah, you don't want, you know, Abu's playing a little bit careless with his yellow cards and whatnot, but from a midfield liability, all of a sudden, Ilya Sanchez was having a whole lot of time and space on the ball. And there was three, four chances that he created with a pass to the wide areas that then found its way inside. And he's just one of those players that he's not going to, Ilya Sanchez will make you pay. He'll kind of bide his time throughout the game and barely cross the midway line until late in the second half. And um, I think they made that tactical change Minnesota, but at the end of the day, Carlos Vela in that spot from that place, he's not going to miss. He's not going to, he's not going to miss the net. And unless something miraculous comes from Dane St. Clair, that's a goal. And that's exactly what that was. I was surprised, actually, that Abu Dunladi came in at halftime. Um, Robin Lude obviously had uh, a little issue, and we're yet to understand the significance of that. But, as you mentioned, Ilya Sanchez had so much of the ball, and then especially when Cifuentes came in at halftime, I thought to myself, huh, I think LAFC are going to have a lot more of the ball now because of that extra body in midfield. I was, I was surprised, and I know it's difficult at halftime because you don't know what the opposing manager is doing, but I, I was... I was surprised that somebody like Rosales didn't come in a bit earlier. But look, I mean, they, they did what they could in the sense of they changed it um, when uh, it was apparent that Abu Dhanladi wasn't the right fix for the situation. 
But there were chances, Kay. There were some really good chances again for Minnesota United. Reynoso obviously made himself he, he made himself available in certain areas of the field. He, he made himself available on the edge of the area. Nearly stole it at the end when the ball inexplicably skipped over Maxime Crepeau. Um, and well done to Kellen Acosta for coming across and making that challenge because otherwise that's a, that's a 2-1 win uh, for Minnesota United. What other positives can Minnesota United take from that? Because like you said as well, and I completely agree with that assessment in the sense of if this is during the, the course of the regular season in the sense of it's the midpoint of the campaign, you're saying actually against LAFC, you have a litany of talent. That's not a bad result at all. But given the circumstances, and even Adrian Heath has said we need to find a win from somewhere, there was a, a, a tinge of disappointment in front of goal again, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, especially I think with the way the back line shaped up for LAFC, I think, you know, Minnesota didn't take advantage of the fact that Palacios and Hollingshead were out, yellow card accumulation and a red card. I think those are two strong areas in their outside backs. And I know they've rotated their defense. I think coming into this game, they had had 18 starting defense defensive lineups um, that, you know, he's, uh, Shrondola has not been afraid to rotate his roster and his lineup, but he has the depth to do that. And in every single one of his starting defenses, there's been at least two or three of those players that have been a part of it and maybe one rotates out. So the fact that you have the two outside backs for LAFC not starting in this game, and I thought that they just didn't take advantage enough of their back line and maybe some of the um, the incontinuity. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's just what came out. Um, one of their their lack of continuity, maybe that's a better way to put it of their back line and the way that they were playing was like a real five in the midfield. I mean, this was like five midfielders, you know, that they were going with and you've just got three. I thought Murillo did not have his best game at, at center back number three uh, for those that were watching and that he could have been taken advantage of on more than one occasion. So at the end of the day, I think you're going to absolutely feel like this was one that you like get away um, with who LAFC had available. Chris, you know, Garrett Christian Bale. Gareth Bale barely touched the ball on the night. Arango lost his head a few times and it looked like he was a little bit mentally taken out of the game um, with his choices of trying to be aggressive. So yeah, to me, this is one that 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 let you let slip away. This was an opportunity to pounce. This was an LASC team that could have been gotten and you could have scored goals on. The tricky part for me when you have a player like Reynoso, and I've talked about this before, he's so good. But sometimes he does tries to do just a little too much for me. And I know there's probably a lot of people that don't like to hear that because he is so good on the ball and he could beat just about anybody on any given day and go through two or three guys and walk two or three guys and meg two or three guys. But there are times where he's almost inviting the contact because he's holding the ball so long. And that is you're dealing with an ankle issue. You need him healthy. You don't want him frustrated play the ball and get it back. Trust your teammates in those moments. And so I thought there was a little bit of that with him. Um, and then the other, you know, the, the bright spot for me is I thought Rosales in, in the role he was asked to play when he came on was good. I thought Jonathan Gonzalez in the role he was asked to play when he came on was good. And that's why, to your point, Abu Dhabi and that substitution was a little shocking to me. And I know they are not anything the same player, the two players I just mentioned and Abu, but Abu is hardly played. And he doesn't look super confident at training. So that's a tough spot to throw him in to the mix. And it didn't go well. And then you're forced to make another substitution. So I thought the bright spots were, um, I thought Ariaga played well. I thought Will Trapp was phenomenal once again. 
So there were absolutely some bright spots in this in this lineup to carry into hopefully the next game and you get Fragapane back. Before we talk about the Kansas City game and the imminent return of Franco Fragapane, um, you mentioned it briefly there. Gareth Bale hardly touched the ball at all, really, at Allianz Field. He was a major disappointment, much to the relief of many Minnesotans, I'm assuming. Uh, and also um, Arango as well. Um, it's been publicised, to say the least, how our head coach felt about it. You might have even echoed similar um, suggestions during the commentary. Um, he should have really received a second yellow, shouldn't he? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I don't know how more clear you can be. That is a yellow card every day, every moment, every minute, twice on Sunday. You kick a ball away after the whistle into the stands. I don't care what minute it's in. I don't care if you're on a yellow or not. In the rule book, that is a yellow card. He's not even time-wasting there. Because there's nothing to waste at that point so early in the game. That's just silliness. It's just stupidity. It's just so if he hadn't already been on a yellow, a hundred percent that is another that is a yellow card. I guarantee the official, and, and of course I don't think they'll say this, would have given him a yellow card for kicking the ball into the stands well after the whistle when the whistle went for an offside call. And it wasn't like he didn't hear the whistle and he was shooting. This was clear and obvious that he was just punting it into the stands out of frustration and it should have been a second yellow, which is a red card. And, you know, they got that one wrong. And at the end of the day, um, it's not comparable to the mistake. I think the officials made where they called that foul on Arango instead of Boxel on top of the, on top of the 18. I think that call was wrong too. Um, and it should have gone in favor of LAFC, but that's not the same thing. Getting a second yellow and getting a red card in the whatever minute of the game is completely different than that uh, missed foul call. And I, I think, you know, we won't know what happened from it, but at the end of the day, even 11 to 11, Minnesota didn't take their chances and didn't finish their opportunities. And um, I can understand Adrian Heath's frustration and I don't understand how that call isn't made right, but um, it is what it is now. And again, you have plenty of chances aside from that 11 to 11 to, to score some goals and you, and you didn't capitalize. Okay, so before we head to break and talk about the forthcoming feature game against Sporting Kansas City, um, let's get some some thoughts from you about the game then, shall we? As we sort of alluded to already, Franco Fragapane will return. Emmanuel Reynoso will be suspended because of yellow card accumulation. To me, this screams that Minnesota will go to a 4-3-3, which we've seen on an abundance of examples um, works against Kansas City because you match up with the man-to-man in the centre of midfield, uh, but somebody suggested the other day, what? Well, why not? Uh, why not go back to what we saw in Portland? Because clearly that worked as well. If you're Adrian Heath, what, what's your thought process here? Well, I I, I do want to see if Robin Lud's available or not. I know I think the the technical uh, determination was a calf or an Achilles or something like that. Um, so whether or not he'll be able to go, I think could change the way Adrian Heath approaches this game and how he might line his team up against a Sporting Kansas City, who in my mind, and I could be completely off on this, but rewatching the D.C. United game that they just played in 1-3-0, it looked to me like he rotated the squad and was saving guys for Saturday. Um, or, you know, giving them an, some extra additional minutes on their legs and, and the way they some of the players played and, and who he played in certain positions. But I could be completely wrong on that. I know we're going to have a conversation in a little bit with Rory Roselle, but I think for Minnesota United, um, this is one that you can't mess around with. You're going on the road to a Sporting Kansas City team that is not eliminated mathematically from the playoffs, but they are still near the bottom and aren't going to be making it 
Um, but this is also a very difficult place to play. This is an opportunity for you to go and get goals and lay down the hammer and just say, enough is enough. We're going to fly into the postseason. We're not limping into the postseason. And that front three or whatever he decides to go with, front two, if you do that five, three, two again with real wingbacks. Um, Benitez did not play in the last game, so he should be fresh and ready to go. I thought Kamar Lawrence did a fantastic job as a left center back in that formation against at Portland. That also gives him an opportunity to rest his legs a little bit and not make as many runs forward. And I think the way this Kansas City team traditionally lines up, depending on who he throws out there, I would have no problem. And I could understand 100% why he would go with that 3-5-2, 5-3-2 again. But for me, it's about who's available in the center of midfield because I thought Will Trapp, Robin Lud, and Corinne Ariaga were fantastic in that game, in that triangle. And I just don't know how that changes them when you put Fragapane back on the field. That's, that's to me, the biggest question mark. How does that look going forward? Fragapane back in, let's say Robin's not available. How does that line up? Does Jonathan Gonzalez get an opportunity? But then where does Fragapane go? Do you go with Almaria and, and Mender Garcia up top still? But then where, where do those other pieces go? How does that look for you? For, for me, I think it screams, as I said earlier, on a 4-3-3. And, and, and like you said, if, if Robin Lude isn't available, then you put Mender Garcia in that wide position again. And you have Garcia and Fragapane either side of Amaria. And you have a, a centre midfield containing Will Trapp, Kevin Abriaga, and Jonathan Gonzalez, more than likely. Maybe Josef Rosales. Me, me, personally, I would go with Gonzalez. Because I think this, this is a Kansas City team, Kay, that um, it's obviously not been a very good year for them. Um, you're right in the sense of they, they are mathematically still alive, but, but only, only just what they need is they need Real Salt Lake to, to not win a game at all. RSL seventh at the moment. Um, and with three games remaining, Kansas City on 34, Real Salt Lake on 43. Um, so it looks bleak for them. So my thought now, um, knowing Peter Vermees, the head coach of SKC, like I do, my assumption would be he will say to everybody now, you're, you're playing um, for pride, you're playing for a contract next year. Don't you dare let me down. Um, and, and words of the effect, really. So this won't be an easy task at Kansas City. Just because they are um, essentially eliminated, it, it, it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy day at all. Um, and we know how they play. We know they like to counter-press. We know they, they use the likes of Johnny Russell uh, in the wider areas. So that's why I'm a little hesitant with, with the 5-3-2 because I, you're asking a lot of the fullbacks or the, the wingbacks in that situation. Um, Kansas City have been devastating in the wide areas for years. Um, so that's why I would be a little hesitant with the 5-3-2. Um, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, so you're saying, you're saying, though, then with the 5-3-2, that Minnesota is more vulnerable in the wide areas than if you play a 4-3-3? I think so, in my opinion, because you've you got the attacking players. When, when, the, when Minnesota United are in transition both of the wing-backs go, whereas in the 4-2-3-1, that's not often the case. Um, and especially over on that far side, um, with look, we're assuming Johnny Russell's going to start on, on, on the right and tuck in as he has done for the last couple of years. Um, and I think if you've got a three in front of a solid back four, as opposed to two in front of three centre-halves, um, you become very narrow. And, and I just think the way that Kansas City have played over the last couple of years, you, you can't afford to be as, as narrow as, as you would be in that situation. So um, take that for what you will. But that's for, for me, I think this screams 4-3-3. Three, three. 
Um, I think it depends on who the back four is, who, you know what I mean? Is because I, I agree with you that I, that the, the, the notion is when you play a three, five, two or a five, three, two, your outside backs will be getting higher up the field and may not be returning defensively as often as you would like. But I have a lot of faith in the three in the back that they played at Portland. And to me, it depends then if you do the four, three, three, who, who is playing defensively on the outside? Is it Kamar Lawrence and DJ Taylor? For me, it, yes. Yeah. Because I mean, Benitez is not going to defend very much, whether he's in a four back or he's in a five back, you know, on the right-hand side, but he's also the one who was well-rested and didn't play a minute against LAFC. And once again, you have three games in seven days. So that just leaves Adrian Heath, which a lot of questions, which is why he gets paid the big bucks. And I don't. Mm. <laughs> it's because he's got to make those decisions because you have to get something from this game. And, and uh, you know, Frank Apane and Mender, like, I don't know how much are they going to drop in and, and defend in a four, three, three to really put some pressure on KC trying to build out, you know, to find a player like Johnny Russell, who just seems to lay down the hammer. And then you've got like a Kyrie Shelton who just always seems to play well against Minnesota United got Daniel Shalloway, who always seems to, you know, find his form in these moments. So uh, it'll be interesting, but I think the pressure is definitely on Minnesota. I don't care that you're on the road. The pressure is on Minnesota right now to, to find a way to get this done, regardless of who plays and what formation you're in. Okay. Well, we'll talk all things sporting Kansas city after the break with their midfielder, Rudy Roselle. takes you out of the game it's time for your team to step up at Alina Health Orthopedics you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records test results and care team you're always close to the care that you need schedule now at alinahealth.org ortho Welcome back in to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. And joined by a very, very special guest now, Sporting Kansas City midfielder Uri Rosell joins us on the pod. Uri, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely, always. Um, look, let's get straight to it, shall we? It, it's not been the year that many predicted for Sporting Kansas City for a variety of different reasons. Before we get into the last couple of weeks and how it's picked up a little bit, talk us through the, the first two-thirds of the campaign, if you would, and, and how the season was affected by the injuries of Alan Polido, Gaddy Kinder, and, and why the season hasn't been what many expected it to be. Yeah, I think it's, it has been hard, obviously. Um, we, we felt those injuries uh, big time because uh, Alan Polido is a great striker, who brings a lot of goal and and just having the depth of having these quality players on the roster, uh, it brings it brings a lot of value because uh, especially this year we had a lot of games um, every three four days, which it's it's kind of uh, I don't know the other the other teams, but but us we we had a lot of games in a row. There was a strike of six games 
playing every three days, so uh, that that was that was tough. And and when you have a lot of injuries and and these guys that can make the difference, uh, definitely it hurts you. And and this is what happened a little bit. How has the message changed from your head coach, Peter Vermees, or from the leadership of, of your team throughout the season as it has gone on with the injuries and then with the stretch of games and you guys are missing some depth maybe at those times? How has the message changed, if at all, from, from a coach like Peter Vermees? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, Sporting Kansas City has has a core values that, that everybody knows and, and they have been very successful during during the years because they they believe in in one system that that works really well and and you have sometimes these years that uh, it doesn't work for for different reasons uh, we pointed out a, a lot of them um, I think we we had a, a a lot of new players as well so I feel like at the end of the day uh, you can always be on top and 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 you kind of have one of those years that that you you want to learn from it and 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 hopefully we we won't have as as many injured as we had at some point so Uri, let's talk about recent form then shall we um sporting kansas city have looked you know similar to their old selves over the course of of the last couple of weeks as well it's been um that full footballing flow it's been that counter pressing style that peter vermees has, has used so well over the course of the last couple of years it's also Five games unbeaten as well. Mathematically, you're not out of the playoffs, but it seems like it's going to be exceptionally difficult to make it. So what is the thought process then at the moment heading into the, the final three games of the regular season? Right. So we know that we that we were in, in a bad position and 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 we realized that that the only thing that we can do is fight for for every point that we have. And right now next game is gonna be against Minnesota and and obviously, we will have to take it very seriously because if we want to continue into the to, to the run, we we will have to get the three points, and and see what they are going to do the others one. But at the end of the day, I think uh, the approach that we have been taking is just think that we can uh, take points every game and and game by game. What went so well for you guys against DC United? I mean, I've watched the game back from your perspective. When you look at a, a result like that, or even a 2-2 against Galaxy, your 4-1 win over Portland, what went well for you guys in those games? I think when you score early, it kind of gives you a big advantage and, and it's something that we haven't done during the, the, the first two-thirds of the season. So now that we can score earlier, it kind of gives you, especially at home, uh, during the last the last matches, that's what what we have done, and I think that that helps us a lot to to be on track and don't chase the game. Um, Uri, talk to us about the the new additionees then that were brought in in the last transfer window, Eric Tommy and William Agada in particular. Seven goals between them since they arrived. How much have they added to Sporting Kansas City? Yeah, definitely they 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 added a lot. They are a very good players. That that I have to say, I'm impressed because coming. From a different leagues uh, and perform right away is not easy, and and they have done that. Each one have different qualities that that definitely have helped a lot in in the team, and 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 it's it's really good that they that they came. When you look at your qualities, what are your qualities, and how do they contribute to this team, to this roster, and specifically Peter Vermees and his style? Uh, those two, you mean? No, yours. Oh, mine. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Well, uh, I, I've been, I was there 10 years ago and, and, and the good thing he, he knew me, he knew my, my style and obviously during the years you kind of uh, learn more from where the places you've been, but I consider myself a, a player who works hard for the team that tries to, to get the ball from the back and, and also be, be aware that when we, we are having the ball in the final third, uh, I'm in a good position to, to stop the counter-attack. Ten years ago, by the way, that seems as though it was yesterday. Um, <laughs> I think we might have lived at the same apartment complex as well for a little uh, while, which was, yeah. uh, was good fun, bumping into each other with a cup of coffee from time to time. Um, a cup the last of coffee. Years, a cup of coffee, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's been... Um, such an interesting last 10 years in your career, Uri. Obviously, you went off to Portugal and played with Sporting in, in Lisbon. And then you came back to Major League Soccer with Orlando before returning to Sporting Kansas City. Before we talk about the return to Sporting KC, what was it that drew you back to Major League Soccer and, and ultimately to sign with Orlando? Yeah, so I, I tried experience in Europe, playing Champions League, UEFA League. But I, but I always like uh, United States. I feel like this is a league that is growing so much, that has so much potential. Uh, as you guys can 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 see, that every year it's it's getting better and better. And and I wanted to be a part of it. And at the end of the day, I had the experience when I was younger here, and I really liked it. So I was I was really attracted to to be back at some point. And and when I had the opportunity to to come back, um, I took it. What was it specifically about Orlando City? Was there anything in particular or did that was just a team that was the right fit at the right time? Well, at the right time, uh, it was kind of complicated for me to, to leave Sporting Lisbon. It, it was kind of hard to, uh, to let, for them to let, to let me go. Uh, so uh, Orlando came, came strong and, and they, they really wanted me. They, they really bet on me. And, and the coach at that time was the one, uh, Jason Kreis, who we played the MLS final 2013 against. So he, he knew me well uh, at, that, at that time and, 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 he, and he helped me to be back in, in the league and, and I spent a great four years there. As we said, we'll talk about the return to, to Sporting Kansas City here in a bit and then focus on, on the game against Minnesota United. Or when, when you first came to Major League Soccer 10 years ago, as you mentioned, uh, compared to now, what do you think the main fundamental differences are in Major League Soccer from, from then until now? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. For me, one of the things that, that I saw was the, the, there are a, a more uh, young players having minutes, and, and I really like that. Maybe 10 years ago, you could see a lot of great players that have been in Europe for a while, and, and they wanted to, to come here and, and just spend the the last few years of their career and, and, and be done. And now I kind of see that this is a league that kind of transform from that to uh, a place where young talent can come and uh, especially South Americans, they can come here and, and they bet on those players as well. So, uh, and also with the, uh, the young prospects from, from US. So I think it's, it's great to see that they are betting on, on, on young players as well. I was just going to ask you about that as you talk about young talent coming from overseas internationally, but Sporting Kansas City, clearly a club that has focused on young talent and bringing it up within the academies and, and everything else. What do you see from the current young players that you've been in and around since your return to Sporting Kansas City? 
yeah, they they see that they have the opportunity to to make the team, to play, to to get some minutes, and and, and also to to get sold to other European teams, as as we are seeing this trend now, that a lot of uh, European teams are are looking to purchase some players in MLS, which is which is great. When I was there uh, uh, ten years ago, I don't think it was that popular. Uh, at that time, I, when I left. Uh, it was the, the most expensive transfer ever for me to leave, which I think was one million something. And now you can see that a lot of players, uh, young players, they are selling them for eight, nine million, which is which is great to see, you know, that the people from outside of US are seeing this league as a good uh, and, and healthy league on, on that regard. Yeah, I was going to say, Yuri, I'm assuming after you spent several years back in Europe, there were plenty of conversations about what's it like in Major League Soccer? What is the quality of the football? And I'm assuming the reputation of the league is only growing day by day. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think I can add more than that because that's 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 really what you said. Um, OK, so let's refocus then, shall we, on the, the match on Saturday against Minnesota United. Psychologically, Uri... Where do you think Sporting Kansas City are at the moment? As we said earlier on, five games unbeaten. It may very well be too little too late, but you're on a good run of form, the best form that you've had all season. Well, why is that the case at the moment? Yeah, uh, I think right now we we have the, the confidence that, that in the past we, we haven't lost a game. We, we've done good performances. I think that the guys who came... In the summer transfer, uh, they they have bring a lot. So at this point, is uh, Minnesota is going to be a, a tough rival for us. We we are at home, so we definitely want to. Uh, no matter what what happens uh, in the standings, that that we can perform and and give the fans what what they deserve. So for us, it's going to be a very important match. I know you guys just played a game, and I don't know how much you've had an opportunity to look at Minnesota again, even though you played them earlier this season. What do you see specifically from this Minnesota United team as you look at what they bring to the table and, and what you guys need to do defensively? Yeah, uh, when we play in Minnesota a couple of months ago, I think it was a team that uh, are really smart the way they attack. They they have a very talented players up front that uh, they they have a, an automatism and the way they attack and that's and that's hard to see in in teams because they they play really one two touches then um they 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 have Reynoso which for me it's one of the the best players I've seen in in this league talent talent wise so yes it, it will be exciting to 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 see them and and and, and hopefully we can we can win you guys <laughs> uh, just one or two more questions, Henry. Uh, we appreciate you joining us and spending time with us today. Uh, what, what do we assume will be the, the legitimate expectation then for Sporting Kansas City going up against Minnesota United? And I'm not just talking about scoreline, but I'm talking about things like ball possession and retention and moving the ball in a certain way. What, what are the expectations? Yeah, I think, uh, um, as we spoke before, the, the identity of the, the club is to have the ball, to, to counter-press high. So I, I think we, we, we will want to continue in that, in that regard. I know that Minnesota are, are good also with keeping the ball. And you see some, sometimes teams that they are more afraid to, to take the ball from the back and, and, and with a little bit of pressure, they, they give us the ball. 
uh, I don't think Minnesota is is that club, but but obviously we we want to continue our uh, our strengths and 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 keep doing what we have been doing during the last games. Specifically, when you look at the front three and in, in at least the front three from your last game with Kyrie Shelton and and Daniel Shalloway and Giannis, what do you see from them? How they work together? How how have they kind of formed uh, some chemistry in in the attacking positions on the field? Yeah, I think each one have have their qualities and and they've been playing together for a long time now. So definitely they they have good chemistry, and I think that that's that's something that. Uh, we can see when when we are playing a game that they they pretty much know each other's strengths and weaknesses and and they play from there. Wonderful, um, Uri. Look, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, just one more final question for you, and we ask this question to to just about everybody who joined us on this podcast. Given that the circumstances and where Sporting Kansas City find themselves at the moment, in your opinion, what defines and what identifies as a good season for Sporting KC come season's end? Yeah, at the end of the day, I feel if you win a, a trophy, definitely it's a, a good season, a great season. And also showing uh, the fans that, that that you believe in the process that you have been doing in the past, uh, I think that, that brings you value because in the future, you will continue to that direction. Sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it works so hopefully in the future we'll we'll work a little bit better than this time. Uh, the past have proven that the system have worked. So uh, hopefully we can get back on track and 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 next year be be right there. A special thanks to Sporting Kansas City midfielder Uri Roselle, Kendra D. St. Aubin, as always, and our expert button presser, Grace Dearson, and of course, you, the listener, for listening at home as well. All eyes now situated on Saturday evening and Kansas City, where Minnesota United head to play Sporting KC. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast, presented by Alina Health Orthopedics.